Welcome to US Rail Journeys, Series 2. In this series, I travel from LA to Chicago on the Southwest Chief, then from Chicago to New Orleans on both Amtrak's City of New Orleans train and a rail replacement bus. I then travel back from New Orleans to Los Angeles on the Sunset Limited. I also get to travel on the San Joaquins the Coast Starlight and the Pacific Surfliner, in all over 6,300 miles in 14 days. In the first part of Episode 7, we arrive at Union Station in Chicago. In the second part, I spend 30 hours around the city. I'm with Brenda who's sat next to me and we're travelling both of us to Chicago and Brenda why do you travel the train? I have a daughter that lives in Chicago and works there and I'm going up to see her. Do you travel the train regularly or is this your first time? Uh, no I've gone probably three or four times before. I like the route to Chicago. I don't have to worry about the traffic around the city and I get to see the countryside. Have you been on any of the other long distance Amtrak trains? I have not. You should try them. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I would like to try the one down to New Orleans at some point in the future, maybe. I'm taking that one tomorrow. <laughs> Good. So if you listen I'll when I have listen edited, the the, edited the podcast, you'll find out whether I enjoyed it. Okay, great. I'll do that. Thank you very much. Sure. Thank you. I'm with Amber, who's traveling on the train today all the way to Chicago. All the way to Chicago and then further after that, but just Chicago for now. Where are you traveling to after Chicago? Well, first stop after Chicago will be New York for just a couple days. Then I'm headed all the way down to Florida. I'm headed back up to New York, which makes very little sense. And then I'm not exactly sure how I want to get home after that, but I bought the one month rail pass, so I have plenty of time to figure this out. Well, that's great. And do you enjoy traveling by train? At times more than others, so I'm not sure yet how I'm going to feel about the entire month of this, but I have actually have had some really positive train trips in the past. That's kind of what inspired this. This particular trip has been kind of a rough one, though, for me. And what was that? I think maybe because of the flooding, it seemed like almost two trains worth of people were like aboard this train because we, I had the whole train that we were supposed to be on that was canceled everyone's on here. I mean, there's not even room for everyone in here to sit in a seat right now, so it's a bit of an overcrowded situation. It was a bit hard to sleep last night. Where is home? Well, right now I'm living in Berkeley, California. I'm originally from Florida. So the Florida leg is going to your natural yeah, roots? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, one of my sisters will be getting married, so that's kind of the apex and inspiration for this trip. And what are you doing in Berkeley? Uh, many things. I would say the thing I'm most passionate about right now actually is working as a yoga instructor, which is not an easy way to survive in the Bay Area. So there's lots of other things I've been doing as well on the side. Why is that a difficult thing in the Bay Area? Because there are an awful lot of them or because people don't like yoga? No, people, people in the Long Bay enough. are so into yoga. It's definitely the center of yoga within the United States. But the Bay Area in California is the center of the tech industry 
in America and it is so expensive to live there. So it's, I'm a little bit crazy for choosing to make this place my home, but it's such a beautiful place. It's such a wonderful place to live. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you very much for talking You're to me. You're welcome. We're passing through an area with puffy gray clouds above us, a little bit of light in the sky, and still mile upon mile of ploughed field, not only stretching mile upon mile along the track, but mile upon mile into the distance. We have now reached Mendota, around 20 minutes after Princeton. 24,000 passengers used the station, built in 1888. The train has to pull forwards after letting the sleeper passengers off to enable the coach passengers to get off. There's a magnificent old steam engine here, along with some historic railway coaches. The original station buildings are now used as a railroad museum. One of the problems with the short platform and the train having to pull forward is that we're of course now completely blocking the level crossing. So cars are having to wait until we move off, having loaded our coach passengers. On the opposite side of the tracks from the railway station are some grain silos and on one of the grain silos there's a mural of a corn cob. Maize is a very large industry in this part of the world. As we get up to speed, having left Mendota, we've just passed a wind farm on the horizon. It's nice to see environmentally friendly electricity being generated. Just passing through another small township and beside the track some very large grain silos so that the grain can be loaded straight onto rail cars to be taken away across the United States to where it's needed. Passing through another small town with its water tower which has painted on the side of it the name of the small town that we were passing through. Sadly I didn't catch it as a little bit late but also in the middle of town next to the tracks the large grain silos waiting for this year's crop. Civilization must be approaching fast because we're passing out of town housing estates built in clusters as we go along. Still plenty of farmland but also a lot more people have made this their home. We're now coming into a large town. I mean large. We've been through small towns, we've been through medium towns, but this one is large, both sides of the tracks, and it stretches for a long way. Must be a place of some note. There's a Holiday Inn Express here. Large buildings across the river from the station. The station which is used by the Metro commuter services which service the lines into Chicago. We've come through on a bypass route, so haven't gone through the railway station. Aurora, the second largest city in Illinois. It's not a stop. It used to be on the route of the California Zephyr many years ago. Aurora adopted the nickname City of Lights in 1908, being one of the first cities in Illinois to adopt all-electric street lighting, which it had done in 1881. Today, Aurora is the home of Caterpillar, 
known for their earth-moving equipment. The author Clive Custler hails from Aurora. Sadly, of course, all large towns have their less well-off areas, and we're now heading past a large trailer park. Now the woods have returned, we're out of Aurora and on our way. But there is, just to say goodbye to us, a large car breaker's yard that we're passing. and industry have started yet again past a vast car park at one of the metro stations on our approach into our penultimate stop at Naperville then it should be about an hour into Chicago the town of Naperville was founded in 1831 by Joseph Naper due to the enormous growth of high-tech companies and its globally renowned public schools ladies and gentlemen Naperville coming up just a few minutes here at Naperville the city is said to be the wealthiest in the US of the cities with a population of 90,000 and over. The station in Naperville opened in 1910 and is used by nearly 1,000 Amtrak passengers each week as well as 4,000 Metro passengers each weekday. This is Naperville, a very modern station. So now we're on the final leg of our journey into Chicago, which we should be reaching in about 30 minutes. Chicago is the industrial core of the Midwest and a major transport hub located in the heart of America's agriculture belt. It is a leading distributor of farm products. Its many regional food specialities reflect the city's ethnic and working class roots. Chicago's spirit is also shown in its architecture. It is here that the word skyscraper originated, with the first one being built in 1885. The arts and sciences are well catered for with an abundance of world-renowned theatres and museums. There is Wrigley Field, one of baseball's oldest parks, and the Sears Tower. The majority of Amtrak's long-distance trains either originate or terminate in Chicago. This final part of our journey will be built up all the way into Chicago Union Station. I hope to tell you more about Chicago Union Station tomorrow when I set off down to New Orleans on the city of New Orleans. This journey on the Southwest Chief has been great fun. Yesterday afternoon we had party time in the observation car with a group of four who had certainly had a few drinks and were enjoying themselves. Today the people are different but still just as friendly. But before I leave the Southwest Chief, I would like to thank all the passengers who've spent time in the observation car, who've had to put up with the guy waving a microphone, and I'd particularly like to thank everyone who gave me an interview. I would also like to thank Jeff and his catering team, who were brilliant in the restaurant car, and Jane down in the cafe, and of course the staff who've looked after us in our sleeping accommodation so well. This has been a really enjoyable journey and even though we're arriving in Chicago on a gloomy late March day, the Southwest Chief is an experience that I've enjoyed. This really is the way to travel long distance in the United States. If you don't believe me, then you should try it and you'll understand why I like it. If you do believe me, I expect to see you at an Amtrak office somewhere in the not-too-distant future.
Part 2 In Chicago, the Windy City After I arrived in Chicago on a dismal, cold, windy day, with the cold in the wind cutting right into you, I checked into a hotel called The Wit, centrally located on North State Street. The Wit is part of the Hilton Group and has exceeded all my expectations. Very comfortable room, excellent staff, and this morning a really enjoyable breakfast. The hotel itself is one block from the river, and I'm now waiting to go out and see some of the sights of Chicago. I'm in the Chicago Museum of Science and Industry in a hall dedicated to one exhibit, a U-boat, U-505, which was captured whole during the Second World War. A lot of people here fascinated by the U-boat and the accompanying exhibit telling them about the Battle of the Atlantic during the Second World War. U-505 was laid down on the 12th of June 1940, commissioned in August 1941, and captured intact by the US Navy on the 4th of June 1944. Between commissioning and capture, the U-boat had the distinction of being the most heavily damaged U-boat to successfully return to port, and, following six botched patrols, the only submarine in which a commanding officer committed suicide in combat conditions as well as being captured intact with all the secret codes and the Enigma machine. So secret was this capture that the crew were isolated and, in Germany, the Navy notified the crew's families that the submarine had sunk with all hands. They returned to Germany in 1947. The U-boat was donated to the city of Chicago, the home city of Captain Gallery, who'd been responsible for the capture. I'm now in the transport hall of the museum, looking at a locomotive 999, or 999 as they call it, which had a record-breaking run of 112 miles per hour on May the 10th, 1893, when it was travelling to Chicago. It is a 4-4 naught locomotive, with very high tractive effort, but apparently was very prone to slippage. According to the museum, it was the most impressive of all the locomotives exhibited at the World's Columbian Exposition. It returned to Chicago for the 1933-34 at Century Progress Fair, as well as the 1948-49 Chicago Railroad Fair. Having been built in 1893, it was retired from service in 1952 and came to this museum ten years later. I am at the most amazing model railway. I say model railway, it's certainly not a toy railway, it's a railway in miniature now. It is called the Great Train Story. How long did it take to build? It took a team of about 60 people two years to build it. The design team actually did take the Amtrak, the Empire Builder train, from Seattle to Chicago, and the whole exhibit is based on the kinds of things they saw along that trip. Well, that's fascinating because grain silos and things like that, I saw on that exact trip 18 months ago. How much maintenance does it take? Well, the most important thing is to keep the trains running. <laughs> so that means keeping the track clean. As much as you'd like to have filtered air coming into the museum, there is stuff in the air all the time. 
there is corrosion that happens. We have a little tank car with a pad underneath that rubs on the track, load it with isopropanol, let an engine push it around the track, and after hours we'll run around all the track, try to keep it clean. We also have a, a dust buster with a long nozzle on it and tipped by a, a feather duster. We'll use that to vacuum it a little bit. We have to be careful. All these little human figures can be sucked up if the glue dries out and they get loose. So the fact that nobody has seen Bigfoot for the last couple of years doesn't necessarily mean there is no Bigfoot. He may have been vacuumed up. <laughs> How far does the average train run each day? Well, the, the three tracks that are directly in front of us as we're chatting are loops that run all the way from our model of Chicago to the model of Seattle. On a day like today, these trains, the trains on those three tracks, will go about three actual miles. Uh, the actual distance, of course, between Chicago and Seattle is 2,400 miles, but you know, in models, things are somewhat smaller. That's quite a long journey, day after day after day. How long do the engines go between needing major service? Well, we do have a team of technicians, and as we say, they are trained to work on the trains. The engines, the most vulnerable part of the engine is the plastic worm gear. It reduces the speed of the little electric motor inside down to the speed that turns the, uh, the wheels at a, the proper rate. That worm gear may have to be replaced as often as every three months. So we have a shop in back where that kind of maintenance is done. Sounds like it's pretty busy. Do you ever reprogram the trains that are running? Well, first off, no computer. Ah. <laughs> we use very basic system. We, in the previous iteration of the, of the train uh, model train layout, we did try a computer, and if anything went wrong, we had to shut down the computer, reboot it. Nothing was running while that happened. Our system now is extremely robust. It's a combination of sensors under the track that are tripped by devices in the front and the rear of the train. There are relays, there are timers, there's transformers. There are more than 100 transformers scattered throughout. They're all underneath the deck. There are ports that you can see here and there that technicians can access to get underneath. It is equipment that literally could have been installed 70 years ago. It's all very well tested, reliable. When things go wrong, we just shut down one or two transformers to make the repair. Everything else keeps on running. So in fact, using technology from the pre-computer age in your post-computer age. Yes. <laughs> hate to say it, but computers are not real. <laughs> and if you laid all the track end to end? The actual yardage or meterage, if you will, of track, uh, the length of track in this exhibit is approximately a quarter mile of, of actual, which in a model terms translates to, I believe it's 23 scale miles of track. I want one in my back garden. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm very happy to have you here today. This podcast has been produced by the Mr. T Podcast Studio. I thank the passengers and crew of the Amtrak Southwest Chief for helping make this podcast possible. Thank you for listening. Please join me again in two weeks.